Hey, uh, so I'm going to read to you three verses from Isaiah chapter 61. And uh, these are words that Jesus actually read. Uh, we have them recorded, and the incident is recorded in uh, He went to his hometown synagogue. And uh, he was given the opportunity to read, and he found these verses, and he read them. This is what he said. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, because the Lord has chosen me. He has commissioned me to encourage the poor, to help the brokenhearted, to decree, to decree the release of captives and the freeing of prisoners, to announce the year of the Lord, the year when the Lord will show his favor, to console those who mourn, to strengthen those who mourn in Zion by giving them a turban instead of ashes, oil symbolizing joy instead of mourning, a garment symbolizing praise instead of discouragement. They will be called oaks of righteousness, trees planted by the Lord to reveal his splendor and his glory. Uh, before I launch into the, uh, to the message, I want to thank you for, uh, for watching or for being here. Uh, I am incredibly grateful that you decided to invest uh, some time out of your life to be here, uh, either online or in person. So let's pray. God, you are our creator. To you alone. May our spirits bow. Send your spirit of truth to expose our self-deception. Challenge our complacency. Empower us to surrender to your grace and love. Assist us. Oh, Holy Spirit, assist us to follow your will through Jesus, our King. Amen. So, I've been re thinking a lot recently because of a book club I, I joined. Uh, I uh, talking about my story, introducing myself to people. They've been asking questions, uh, and that's part of this, uh, this this book club is about uh, sharing our stories. And and so uh, I realized something. No one can tell the story of their lives without, first of all, pointing out to what we call providential relationships. Uh, for better or worse, people shaped your life. Uh, we all have uh, family members who influenced our parents. Contrary to the things that were spoken to me as a, an elementary age person, I was not hatched under a rock, and neither were you. Uh, I, I, I have family, I have parents, I have grandparents, I have aunts, uncles, cousins. Um, <laughs> it's one of my memories from, from my childhood. Even though I was like uh, five to six years younger than my cousins, <laughs> I was bigger than them. <laughs> 
I have always been the biggest cousin uh, in the room. Even now, uh, my cousins are, well, about average. Not, some of them I'm not even sure are average yet. Uh, there are several people that the Holy Spirit used too to mold my life. Uh, especially, I was just thinking about this week around prayer. Uh, my first prayer partner as a pastor was a man named Carl Olander. None of you have ever met Carl Olander because Carl died a long time ago. Uh, okay, I take that back. Nikki and Kristen, my oldest daughters, met him, but I'm sure they don't remember him because, well, they were knee-high to a grasshopper at that point in time. Carl Lundander was my first prayer partner. Um, not my last. Uh, I had, some of you will recognize a couple of these names I'm about to, to share. Uh, when I moved to, uh, when we moved as a family, we moved to Bay City, I had the privilege of meeting Almira Britton. Um, she was in a nursing home in Tawas City. And uh, whenever I'd go to see her, she could, would apologize that all she could do is pray for me. I said, let me, so about the fourth or fifth time, I said, so let me get this straight. All you can do is ask the almighty, um, uh, all-knowing, all-loving creator of the universe to intervene on my behalf? Is that what you're saying? Oh, Wow. Uh, Carl Soderquist, every time we prayed together, he ushered me into God's presence. He launched his prayers with three simple words. And by the time he said those three, we were in the throne room of heaven. Heavenly Father, dear. I, I read about a man named John Cavanaugh who uh, met uh, Mother Teresa. Uh, a few years ago, he went to work for three months in her place of ministry, the House uh, of the Dying in Calcutta. He was seeking a clear answer to how best to spend the rest of his life. Uh, Mother Teresa asked, what can I do for you? And Mr. Cavanaugh replied, uh, please pray for me. What do you want me to pray for, she asked. That's a good question to ask when somebody asks you to pray for them. What do you want me to pray for? And he, he said, he, he shared the request that he had carried around the world to ask her. He says, pray that I have clarity. And Mother Teresa, who was, by the way, a tiny person, but a powerful person <clears throat> firmly said, no, I will not do that. <laughs> and you know, well, you know how, why, why won't you pray for me to have clarity? And, and she said, clarity is the last thing you're clinging to and you need to let go of it. And he said, but you always seem to have the clarity I'm looking for. She laughed and said, 
I have never had clarity. What I have always had is trust. So I will pray that you trust God. The Bible tells the story of providential relationships. There, there's David and Jonathan, close friends, people who should not have been close friends because Jonathan was the heir apparent. He was the crown prince of Israel. And everybody knew that David was going to be the next king and not him. And yet they turned out to be closer than brothers in their friendship. Uh, there's Naomi and Ruth a mother-in-law and her daughter-in-law. Oh, I'm just going to leave all the mother-in-law jokes alone. But there they were. There was Moses and Joshua. We talked about Joshua a little earlier. Moses, the mentor, and Joshua, his apprentice. There was Andrew, Peter, James, and John. Two pairs of brothers partners in their fishing business and among the very first to follow Jesus and among the closest to him in his circle of 12. You and I cannot tell our stories, the story of our lives, without pointing out providential relationships. And then there was this teacher or, or, or then the pastor said or my mom or my best friend you can't tell your story without referencing somebody <clears throat> the same is true for what I'm going to call today pivotal circumstances we cannot tell our stories without revealing the times uh, we shifted directions because of new situations in our lives our lives zig and zag often it seems uh, in the year 2020 they zig and zag constantly good luck trying to keep up uh, I'm not sure that it's true I just not sure that well it could be true though for example, do you remember the, your, your first day at school? Or your child's or your grandchild's or your great-grandchild's first day at school? <clears throat> do you remember your last day? I remember the first September after I was done with school. Suddenly thinking, I need to get ready for classes. No, I don't. This is weird. Since I was six years old, I've been getting ready for class in September, and now I don't have to. That's weird. Did you? I know somebody who does. It knows the answer to this question. Do you remember what your first chore was? Uh, do you remember your first job outside of the house, outside of your home? 
I, I remember holding our firstborn in the delivery room and suddenly praying, Lord, help. Uh, before that happened, years before that happened, just for the clarifying, I, I remember meeting Connie. I remember seeing her. I remember the place. I can picture it in my mind. I remember the dress she was wearing. At the very beginning of her years in college, uh, life took a great turn for me on that day. <laughs> it took a while for her to realize that it was taking a turn, but uh, yeah, it, my life took a great turn that day. Um, it was an even better day the day she said yes in the Baldwin Food Center um, that's now part of the Indiana Wesleyan University Student Center. I think all that's left is the concrete slab that we were standing on or sitting on. Uh, well, the chairs were on the, on the floor. Uh, but the day we said, I do, certainly changed the direction of our lives as well. Uh, I remember my confusion, frustration, anger, fear, when the doctor told us that my mother's cancer was inoperable. Um, and I can't remember, I mean, I can't, I can't forget moving to Bay City. I've lived in this town and in this community longer than I have lived anywhere else in my life. Uh, it's, um, it's weird. Not, Bay City's not weird, it's just weird that I've lived someplace this long. Um, John the Baptist had some uh, pivotal circumstances. Uh, the story is in Luke chapter 7. Uh, John's disciples, it tells us in Luke chapter 7 verse 18, John's disciples told him about all these things, all the things that had been going on through Jesus and his disciples. And, and he called two of them to him and, and sent them to the Lord, sent them to Jesus to ask, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? It's interesting. Uh, let's, let me share the backstory real quick. King Herod had stolen his brother's wife. It's not exactly clear how that all happened, but the woman who had been married to his brother was now living with him. They weren't exactly, no, they weren't married. They were cohabitating in his, in his palace instead of his brother's palace. <laughs> if Jerry Springer could have been around, they would have been on the show. <laughs> Okay, so Herod had stolen his brother's wife, and John the Baptist, being the guy he was, called him out on it. Uh, you can't do that. You can't steal your brother's wife. And Herod did what all kings do when people tell them they, something they don't like. He put John in prison. He could have killed him, but he liked him too much. He, for some reason, he liked to talk to John. Even though John would get in his face and tell him his business was all messed up. 
Uh, John the Baptist's life turned on a dime. He went from being a powerful prophet that people went out into the boonies to visit and to a powerless prisoner that very few people came to visit. His disciples would come. As John said in Herod's dungeon, day after day, week after week, probably a year or two, he began to ask questions. He began to wonder. He began to, who is Jesus? Who is this guy? Was I wrong? I thought he was the one. And he needed to know for sure. Uh, there was one thing he knew for sure, that sooner or later, Herod was going to get tired. And when Herod got tired of him, his life was going to be over. And so he wanted to know for sure, is Jesus the one? So it tells us in verse 20, Luke chapter 7, verse 20, when the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one to come or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured. <laughs> they came and interrupted him. Uh, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Did you hear that last sentence? That last sentence is, is kind of a key thing for us today. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. It, it packs a whole lot of more punch uh, the way it was originally written. When we put it into English, English does not really have a word for this. Uh, it, it, it could be translated, uh, does not reject me, uh, or is not scandalized by me. In fact, the word that Luke wrote down on the paper when he wrote it down is the word that we get scandalized from. And so to, to say blessed is the one who doesn't stumble is, is part of it because it's part of being caught in a trap, but it's also, uh, or a snare, but it's beyond that has this whole idea of being offended, uh, turned off, turned away from. Uh, one, the contemporary English version put it this way, God will bless everyone who does not reject me because of what I do. So John answers Jesus, or Jesus answers John's question by pointing to the Spirit's work. And he ends with a blessing for everyone who keeps on trusting him uh, with all the life-altering changes that come. And he says, 
God will bless everyone who does not reject me because of what I do. So what is the worst thing that we could possibly do when our lives change direction? Sometimes those changes are positive, sometimes they are not. What is the worst thing that we could possibly do? Well, I'm going to flip what Jesus just said and turn it around and say, it seems to me that falling away, turning away, rejecting Jesus because he doesn't seem to meet our expectations is the worst thing we can do when our lives zig and zag. Pivotal circumstances are something we share because we live in this world. Um, Every human being. Events in our lives take sudden, surprising turns all the time. No matter where or when people inhabit this planet, Every person's life changes course. There are no exceptions. Your life will zig or zag or turn or flip um, when you least expect it. Sometimes when you do expect it. Sometimes it'll be good news. Sometimes uh, it will be the worst possible news that you can imagine. It's inevitable. We live in a broken world, but even then, If this world wasn't broken, things would change. Our lives would change. This world is designed to grow. And you can't grow without change. Sometimes, okay, let me me explain that. If you put a corn kernel in the ground, in your garden, You hope and plan on it changing into a stalk of corn with ears of corn. If you put a bean in your garden, you expect it to give you beans, not zucchini. If you put zucchini in your garden, well, we all know you're going to get a whole lot of zucchini. A seed changes, grows into a vine. People change and grow. Babies become toddlers. Toddlers become preschoolers. Preschoolers become elementary age kids. Teenagers. Young adults. And before people get distressed, we'll just leave ourselves as young adults. Okay? Uh, you, you, there, there's nothing you can do to avoid change uh, because we're in a world that's supposed to grow. But some of the change is bad because we're in a world that's broken. Uh, you, you can't be rich enough to avoid it. You cannot be young enough, good enough, loving enough, faithful enough to escape events that will change the direction of your life. Now, the next thing I want you to, I want you to, I'm going to say this like three times because that's it's really important. Don't buy the lie that Jesus does things to you. Don't buy the lie that Jesus does things to you. And one more time, just so you know that I'm serious about this. Don't buy the lie that Jesus does things to you. When your life changes directions, Jesus wants to work 
in you so that he can work through you later. He wants to build your faith so that you can turn around to build someone else, to build someone else's faith. Jesus wants you to know that you can trust him even when your questions go unanswered, even when he's not doing what you expect him to do, even when he's not getting you out of prison, Herod, or Herod's prison, John. Uh, got ahead of myself in my brain. Jesus wants you to know that even when you have questions and they're unanswered, he wants you to know he has not abandoned you. Jesus wants to work in you. This is the sermon in a sentence. Jesus want, wants to work in you so that he can work through you. In his second letter to the church at Corinth, the apostle Paul put it this way. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. Even when we are weighed down with troubles, it is for your comfort and salvation. For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. Then we can patiently endure the same things we suffer. So there's, there's a circle that God wants to establish. We're all going to face changes. We're all going to have opportunities in life where, where things, a direction will change for us. And he's always going to comfort us. And he's always going to give us the opportunity to comfort someone else going through those times. Jesus wants to work in you so that he can work through you. Now, I... I want to address uh, those of us whose faith is injured, broken, or worn out. Uh, so if your faith is all together, I'm not talking to you. But if you've been thinking there's no hope for my faith, my life zigged and my faith zagged and I don't know what's going on, uh, I want you to listen. I want you to listen for another voice. Might be a very faint whisper. But do your best to filter out all the hopelessness and the discouragement and listen for a quiet voice saying something like, I called a dead man out of his tomb. I can heal your faith. I can refresh your trust. I can repair your confidence in me. Keep listening to that for that voice. It's the voice of Jesus. If you can't hear it now, simply tell him you want to hear. So pray until you hear his invitation to come closer to him. Yes, your life zigged and maybe your faith zagged, but he didn't lose you. 
He didn't leave you. He did not forsake you. He's waiting. He's inviting you to just turn around. So pray until you hear his invitation. And then pray that the Holy Spirit opens your eyes to see Jesus working around you. This is one of the tricks that happens when we're discouraged and we're uh, disappointed and when life is zigged and we're not sure if we zigged or zagged or what. Uh, we stop seeing what he's doing. And we start seeing only the things that we think he ought to be doing. Because for some reason, we think we know what he ought to be doing. Just sleep on that for a few minutes. We think, we, never mind. Pray that the Holy Spirit opens your eyes to see Jesus at work. When the, John's disciples came to Jesus, the first thing he did was look around. Blind people are seeing, deaf people are hearing, leprosy is being healed, dead people are rising again, the good news is being proclaimed to the poor. God's still at work. Pray the Spirit, pray until you hear Jesus' invitation to come close to Him. Pray that the Holy Spirit opens your eyes. When you ask Jesus to reveal His presence in your situation, start looking for Him. He is there, He's already at work. Look for him, not for the results you think he ought to be producing. So remember, Jesus wants to work in you so that he can work through you. So I want to encourage you to pray until you hear Jesus' invitation uh, to, to come close again. I want you to pray that the Spirit opens your eyes to see what Jesus is doing around you. And I want to encourage you to participate in a group of big faith Jesus followers. You'll probably have to recruit them. You'll probably have to go looking for these people. There's no program designed for big faith Jesus followers. Oh boy. Yeah, he said it out loud. But he's wearing a mask and so nobody knows exactly who he is. Ah, you need people around you who have walked through good days and awful days with Jesus. You need people around you who have honestly said, my life zigged and my faith zagged and finally Jesus brought me back and restored my faith. You need followers who aren't full of stale bumper sticker statements. You need people who aren't just following Jesus on Facebook. Okay, if you're not on Facebook, sometimes I think you're blessed. It was one of the best ways for me to check and see if my blood pressure medication is working is to read some of the things people post. Uh, so far, nobody in this room is about that problem. So, um, you, you need men and women who will share their pain and tell you how Jesus helped them make it through. You need people who will say, I went through this and he comforted me. He didn't leave me or forsake me. 
You need people who will confidently tell you that it's far better to be discouraged with Jesus than to be discouraged without Jesus. Because when bad things happen in your life, you're going to get discouraged. It doesn't matter. So why would you do it without Jesus? When you could do it with him. God will bless those who don't turn away, who don't reject Jesus because he, of the things he does and because he doesn't fulfill their expectations. Jesus wants to work in you so that later he can work through you. You, you need to know this. Jesus loves you more than you can imagine. Some of you started to argue with me. Trust me, if you think you know how much Jesus loves you, you don't. You can sing the songs, quote the Bible verses, but when I'm talking about knowing that Jesus loves you more than you can imagine, I'm talking about what Paul tries to describe in in. in Ephesians chapter 2, when he talks about how wide and tall and big and what the love of God that goes beyond understanding, but that we can experience. He loves you more than you can imagine. He feels your pain more deeply than you can imagine. He's not like us. You know, when we get together with people who are going through problems, we can feel sorry for them. We can probably even empathize with them and feel badly with them to an extent. But nowhere near what Jesus does. Jesus does not do things to you. If someone tells you that the stuff that's happened to you is because Jesus did it, They're badly misinformed at best and telling you a lie from the pit of hell regardless of what their motivation is. And you can refer them to me. Because go talk to that guy. He has something he wants to tell you. I'm smiling back here. Jesus wants to work in you so that he can work through you. He's going to go through all the things that happen in your life, every pivotal circumstance, every change, whether it's good or bad, whether you expected it or whether you were surprised by it. He's going to go through all those things with you. Just think for a moment, what could happen to our faith if we believed Jesus is everything he claims to be and that he will do everything he's promised to do. How different, how different would our outlook on life be if we had complete confidence that Jesus is with us all the time? How differently would we respond to the life's complications and temptations and blessings if we knew 
that we knew, that we knew, that we knew that Jesus was working in all of it, whether we could see him or not. How differently would we live if we believed Jesus' plan to leverage every single event in our lives for good? Good for us and others. I'm going to invite you right now just to, to take a few moments to think about the circumstances, the pivotal circumstances, the changes in direction in your life. Um, if you want to close your eyes so you can concentrate, you can do that. Uh, I just want to encourage you to take a few moments right now to begin that process of asking the Holy Spirit to help you determine what may need to be healed, restored, refreshed, repaired. What he wants to do to build your trust in him, in Jesus. So let's just take, let's take 60 seconds to start. Let's pray. King Jesus, we want to hear your quiet voice saying, I can heal your faith. I can repair your trust in me. I can refresh your faith. We want to see you, Jesus, in the middle of our changing situations. We want complete confidence that you are with us all the time especially in the painful times when we're so easily distracted. Help us to let go of our expectations so that we can see you. So that we can experience your love that goes beyond our understanding. We want to respond to life's complications and, and blessings knowing that we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're working in all of it whether we can see it or not you are never and you have never been caught off guard you've never been surprised you have never gone oh man what am I going to do now never we have happens to us all the time 
We want to live believing you can plan to leverage everything in our lives for good. We long to be encouraged, to be comforted, and so we can encourage and comfort others. Thank you for listening to us. Thank you for speaking to us. Help us to keep this conversation going with you. Amen. Thank you again for uh, either watching or for being here in the building. Wherever we are, whatever, whenever uh, this is happening for you, I want to remind you that Jesus sends us. Jesus sends his church, his people, his family. He sends us just the same way that the Father sent him. He sends us to seek and to find his missing children. We are sent. So let us go in the love and power of the Holy Spirit. As we work with the Spirit, we will transform grudges into grace. We'll transform apathy into action. We will transform despair into determination. Folks, you are sent. So go.